Good morning. We are thankful for a good crowd this morning. I was thinking a few moments ago that we have been very sad that there are many folks who are sick and those who are not able to be with us. But the good news is a lot of folks get to return after a while, and we're thankful for that. It's good to see many of our folks who have been out for a while that are able to be back with us. It's been good to see Sister Arlene when she she has been able to be here. Uh, I know there are many others. Miss Samira has not been able to be out. We're thankful she's here. It's good to see Carol Lee back with us. And I could go on and on. There's a whole lot who have been out for a while for various things. And every time Sister Nina said, oh, I wanted to be here. I'm glad to be here. And so we're thankful when, when those who have been uh, ill are able to be well enough to, to be back with us. We're thankful you're here this morning. And we hope you'll be back with us this evening if you have an opportunity as we assemble together at 6 o'clock to worship uh, God again, we have been taking a look at a series of lessons that have dealt with those who are lesser known in the Bible. We've titled it Lost in the Credits. Uh, we're going to take a look at, at one of the final two lessons of those tonight and another one in the month of February. Uh, we hope that you can be back with us again as we worship together, but certainly we're thankful that you're here this morning. When we think about the world around us, a lot of times it's very easy to get down. It's very easy to turn on the news and think about all the difficulties of things. It's very easy many times to, to point the finger and to blame people and to, to talk about how terrible the world is. And there's, there's certainly a lot of sin around us. When we think about getting back to the heart of God, that's what we need to be striving to help people with. Getting back to the heart of God. But you know, it's nothing new. When we think about even back into the beginning, God, God creates the world. He creates the universe and the world around us. And within just a couple of pages in our Bible, man has, has ruined it with his sin and thinking evil only continually. When we think about getting back to the heart of God, that's really what the world has needed to do for thousands of years. It's what the world needs to do today. Unfortunately, it's not a magic pill. I mean, it's not something that we can just say or something that we can take or swallow and it all goes away. But when we think about getting back to the heart of God, that's been the plan all along. In fact, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can be turning to Mark chapter 12 and verses 13 through 31. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 31. Because we see here that Jesus himself, the Son of God, was dealing with the very same thing. Just as we can stand here this morning or, or turn on our television and throw our hands up and look around us and say, what are we going to do with all of these people? All of these people who constantly are turning against God and causing these problems and living in sin. But when Jesus looked around him, he saw the very same thing. He saw a problem that needed help. He saw some obstacles in his way. And what we want to do this morning is begin by thinking about what Jesus was going through here. And we want to make application to ourselves as we usually do. Beginning first of all this morning with the obstacles. Because the obstacles that Jesus faced we're going to notice are some of the same obstacles that we face today. You see we, we sometimes think about all that Jesus went through here upon this earth. And sometimes we focus in on certain situations. But this morning we want to take a look. In particular, at Mark chapter 12 here, verse 13 through 31, and we'll read parts of it as we go through. Because in this particular instance, we see Jesus having to deal with this. But not only do we see that, but we'll see how he handles it. First of all, this morning, there are three different obstacles that Jesus faces here in this particular passage. The first one you see, beginning in verse number 13 there, 
Mark records for us, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees. Pause right there for a moment. You go all the way down in your Bible to verse number 28 of Mark chapter 12, and you see another name of a group of people, the scribes. Now, if we're going to talk about these these groups this morning and give them uh, a little bit of attention for just a moment, we might call these folks the, the radical right, if you will. The, the idea of Pharisees, the name Pharisees, is thought to have come from a Hebrew term meaning to separate. Thus, the Pharisees were known as the separated ones. In Acts chapter 26, in verse number 5, Paul calls them the strictest or straightest party of his religion, the Jewish religion, the Pharisees. Now, the scribes as well, they did not write things down for a living, but they gave special attention to law. But really, they gave attention to the oral law that had been handed down from generation to generation orally. And of course, what happened was various traditions of men were fabricated from this oral law that the scribes would continue on and and pass on. We read of the word Pharisee 93 times in the Bible, and we read of the word scribe 62 times. And out of all that, 22 times those words are found together, the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, these folks were joined at the hip, if you will. And what's interesting is, as we see not only here in Mark chapter 12, but throughout the New Testament, they were constantly agitating Jesus. You might say it was their goal in life. I mean, it wasn't the only thing they did, but they were constantly striving to agitate Jesus. You see it in their question. Notice their question. We don't have time to read all of the verses. But in verses 14 through 17 there, notice what the Pharisees do. They send the Herodians, and we'll get there in just a moment. But the question has to do of what is lawful in verse number 14. As the Pharisees were the strictest party, staying true to the law as they saw it, they wanted to know what's lawful. And the same things with the scribes. Go down to verse number 28. They came to him saying to the teacher, saying to Jesus, perceiving that he had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment? They asked him about about the law. Is it the law, God's law? Is it the the oral law that you have passed down and and the traditions of men that you have? But, But they wanted to know what does the law have to say about what is the first commandment? The Pharisees and the scribes were an obstacle to Jesus. And we see that here in this particular passage as they are questioning him and agitating him. But secondly, this morning, we see what we are going to call the culturally connected. Secondly, we read about the Herodians. Notice again in verse number 14 there, then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him or trap him, if you will, in his words. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, maybe not Bible scholars, but Bible students, you know there was a roughly a 400 year period between the Testaments. And we know from history that in that 400 year period, the Maccabean Wars took place. And again, you can do lots of studying and reading up on that. But the family of the Maccabees rebelled against Rome because Rome was defiling what they held to be sacred. But through all of that, Herod the Great married a Maccabean woman, a, a Jewess from the Maccabean family. So what we have here is a group of Jews who catered politically to Herod. 
because of his connection to the Jewish people in marriage. So when you read the word Herodians, which by the way, we read about the Herodians three times. And each time we read about the Herodians with the Pharisees. The Herodians, these folks enjoyed enjoyed staying connected to the Herodian family. They liked being relevant culturally or even maybe more so politically. And again, three times they're mentioned each time with the Pharisees because even though they were both so different, they wanted Jesus out of the way. They could agree as much upon that. Notice their question in verse number 14 there. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? To the government. They're connected politically and they want to know their question comes out of that. And of course, we would notice as well Jesus' answer, as we know in verse number 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And notice what happens in verse 17. And they marveled at him. How wonderful it would be if people would marvel at us if we were saying what Jesus had to say. And repeating the words of Jesus. How wonderful it would be if people would marvel at us. So the Herodians are there. They're an obstacle as well because they're connected culturally. They're wanting to know what's the latest and greatest, especially in the culture and even in politics. But notice the third obstacle to Jesus. The Sadducees. Down in verse number 18. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him... Same. Now we'll pause there. It is suggested that the name Sadducees might have come from a Hebrew term translated righteous. So they thought they were above all others in their righteousness. They say there is no resurrection. Mark records that for us here in verse number 18. But even in Acts 23. In Acts 23 it's mentioned that they say there is no resurrection. They say there are no angels. They say there are no spirits. These folks didn't believe In in the spirit world, if you will, in the soul of man, they were politically connected and the social elite, they were the privileged, they were the rich folks. In fact, what's interesting is the Pharisees loved money, but the Sadducees had money. And we know there's a difference sometimes in that. But notice the Sadducees, the word Sadducees is used 14 times. Reference in scripture, but notice their question They're beginning in verse number 19 and, and continuing on down later. They're asking about a resurrection, about a man whose brother dies and he leaves behind his wife and they leave behind children and there's seven brothers and they carry on through that. They didn't even believe there was a resurrection. That's one of those questions that you want to say, well, why are you asking me? You don't even believe that, but we know We know because of what Mark says earlier there in verse number 13 about the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were trying to trap him or catch him. The term there comes from the idea of a hunting word. They were trying to trap him in his words. So they're asking a question, something they don't even believe about. The obstacles to Jesus were, were those on the right, those in the center or the connected, if you will, and those on the left. But here in Mark chapter 12, we see all of those people gathered together, if you will, because nothing unites us like a common opponent sometimes. And so they're going after Jesus. They want to be done with him. But secondly, this morning, we want to notice the objective. 
The objective that Jesus shares here. If you've got your Bible open, look in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 29. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 29. Because after the scribes asked him about the greatest commandment or the first commandment, Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now now notice the objectives here. Jesus says, first of all, that you need to be listening. He says, first of all, that you need to be listening. Notice he says in verse number 29, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. We need to, first of all, listen to God. And did you notice who he said that to? Who would be needing to hear that? That would be the scribes. The scribes needed to hear that it wasn't about the oral tradition. It wasn't about the traditions of men that you would pass down from generation to generation. You need to listen to God. That's the first objective. And the scribes needed to hear that. Notice, secondly, the objective was to be loyal to God. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. And the Herodians needed to hear that. Not Herod's family. Not the Roman Empire. Not the government. There's nobody else. We need to be loyal to God. But then third this morning when it came to the objectives or the objective that Jesus is trying to pass on here as he answers the questions We might even say the ridiculous questions that they're trying to trap him with. He says we need to love God. He continues on there in verse number 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, all your being. The Sadducees needed to hear that. The Sadducees needed to hear you have a soul and you need to love God with all of it. Simply put, as Jesus is being questioned time and time again, he says, wait a minute, hold on for just a second. There is only one. It's all about God. And when we think about what he says here, there's no one else. He's telling them it's all about God. No one else, nothing else, no tradition, no other man that you can put forth is more important. It is all about God. God. That's the objective that Jesus is trying to share here with those around him. It's all about God. There's no one else that we can turn to. I think of the words of Peter to Jesus. Who, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And of course, when we say that it's all about God, we mean as well, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. There's no one else that we can turn to. There's no other tradition. There's no, no other oral law. We have a soul. We have a being. And we need to love God with every bit of it. With everything that is within us. But notice thirdly, before we begin to make application to ourselves, Notice Jesus' operandi, if you will. You may have heard the term M.O. or modus operandi, his means of operation. I know it's not a normal word, but when a preacher has two O's, he's got to find a third O, okay? We know that. 
His operandi, all right? His means of operation. As he says these things, as he's given them these objectives, how is he going to get them to accomplish what he's told them to do? How is he going to get them to make changes and get back to the heart of God? He could look at them gathered around. He could hear their questions and he could notice these folks are not after what God is after. How could he help them get back to the heart of God? And notice verse number 31. He says, and the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus says his his means of operation, the way that we're going to accomplish this is you have to love God. But Jesus connected loving people to loving God. There is no other commandment greater than these. He says it doesn't get any bigger than this. That we love one another. That we love one another. You need to love God. He's already said that you need to love God. But how do you get there? You love one another. These groups were opponents. Which is, again, very interesting because they were all only united when they were, had a common opponent in Jesus. But they were opponents. They were different philosophically. They did not agree on things. But yet, they come together to attack Him. And even though they were all opponents of His, He answers them. And His answer to these groups was, you need to start loving one another. You need to start loving one another. And Jesus is the master teacher. He knew how to reach his audience. He's better than any, any preacher and than any, anybody else that can stand before you and try to share what he's saying here. He knew exactly what they needed to hear. He knew based on their questions, based on their philosophical leanings, which way they needed to, wanted to go and which way he needed to answer them so that he could tell them, you need to love God, but one way that you love God is you show it By loving one another. Now if you'll allow me to go backwards for just a moment here. When we think about the obstacles. When we think about the obstacles. And we make application for ourselves today. Guess what? It's the exact same thing. We face the exact same obstacles. Because of the fact that we face people who are different. Philosophically. Politically. Theologically. We face the right. Those on the right who would, who would make laws and traditions where there are none. Who would try to hold people to some type of standard that they have come up with. We might call them the alt-right or the radical right as we looked at a moment ago. Sometimes we deal with those who are culturally connected. It's obvious when we look around us. You want to see the places that have the biggest building? You want to see the places that are filling basketball arenas with people? They want to stay culturally connected. They don't care to change what Jesus has said so that they fit in with the culture around them. And don't get me wrong, we need to, to think about those that we come in contact with. We, we need to think of the right way to reach out to people. But when we change the message of God to fit the culture around us, then we are wanting to be culturally relevant. We are wanting to stay culturally connected. And we are away from the heart of God. But we face that today. We face those on the left as well, sometimes called the liberal left. Now, let's not forget that the Bible says something about liberalism, but he says we need to be giving in our we need to be liberal in our giving. But there are those who lean left. 
There are those that lean away from the Word of God. And whether it is the right, the left, the center, or whatever place that people connect on on the spectrum, we need to remember that we need to get back to the heart of God. We had the lesson recently, back in the fall, about what the words and understanding the terms liberal and conservative. And we need to keep in mind the different group of peoples that we, the different group of people that we are interacting with every day. The story is told of the uh, recently uh, deceased George H.W. Bush. It's actually the memoirs of his wife, I believe. The story is recounted where he, he couldn't connect to those of his base in Texas and he couldn't connect to those in D.C. And Barbara was talking to him about it and asking him what he was going to do. And he made the comment about, about labels. And he said, labels are made for cans. That's the way we are sometimes in this world. We label people and label things. But we need to remember that we have obstacles in our way. But did Jesus say that and stop there? Or did he continue on? Sure, we face the same obstacles but at the same time, we have the same objectives. Those objectives that we need to accomplish are the same as Jesus. We need to take individuals, regardless of where they fall on that spectrum, right, left, center, whatever, and we need to teach them to love God with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Their every being, everything that makes you, you, needs to be involved and consumed with loving God. We can help other people come back to the heart of God if we teach them or when we teach them to do what is best for God. It's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any of us individually. It's all about God. Loving God, being loyal to God and listening to him. And when we share that with others, we can help lead people and hopefully the world back to the heart of God. But as we concluded just a moment ago with thinking about Jesus and we make application to ourselves, how do we reach that objective? What is our operandi? What is our means of operation? And we get to this point here. And as we begin to conclude our thoughts, hang with me because this is where we sometimes fail. This is where it sometimes gets a little sticky. It gets a little hard as we come to this part of the lesson. How do we reach our objective of helping people get back to the heart of God? We show people that we love one another. John chapter, excuse me, John chapter 13 and verse 35. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you shall love one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. Abound in love toward one another. And if you've got your Bible this morning, look in 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. Peter says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Here in first Peter chapter one and verse 22, we see two of the words that the Bible uses for love. First of all, there's phileo, love for the brethren. And then there's agapao, waiting or excuse me, wanting what's best for the ones that's loved. 
And he says here in verse number 22, notice the construction, if you will. You have purified your souls by obedience. By obedience. It says it doesn't just happen to you. It's not like those in Catholicism might sometimes say that it just kind of happens to you. There's something that you have to do. But he says, you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth in order to obtain what? What does he say there? In order to obtain the sincere love of the brethren. Wanting the love of your brethren or those who could be your brethren is what motivates you to obey and to purify your souls. People in the world should see us interacting in such a way that they see us and they say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to see that love. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to have the blood of Jesus purify my soul because I want the love of the brethren like those brethren enjoy. And when we have that, we are to, as he says there, out of an unfeigned or pure heart, want what is best for one another. That's our operandi. That's our means of operation. And all too often, we mistreat one another. All too often, we hurt one another. Brothers, sisters, friends, this morning as we examine and think about what Jesus has said here, what he has given us to consider, we better look at ourselves in the mirror. We better examine ourselves and ask whether or not we fall into one of the three obstacles that we discussed earlier. Are we a part of the problem, maybe, of what Jesus is, was facing then and still faces today as we look around us and see that? Am I listening to God, being loyal to God, and loving God as we talked about with our objectives? And does that really show in the way that I love my brethren? Does that really show in the way that we love one another? We've got the same obstacles and we should have the same objective and we have to have the same means of operation. Loving one another. And it begins right here. It begins with me and it begins with you as we consider bringing people back to the heart of God. It's not a cure-all. It's not a pill. It's not even one sermon. It's a life. It's an example that we set. It's a work in progress. If we want to bring the world back to the heart of God, then we show that with our love for one another. The first step, though, this morning is maybe you're here and you're not a child of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're here and you need to become a part of of the family. You need to be added to the church by God. You need to become gospel obedient. All of those are ways that we, we say the same thing. We need to become a Christian. We need to become obedient. We need to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not done that. Maybe you want to know more about it. We'd gladly study with you even this day. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but you've wandered away. Another way that we say we sometimes have sin in our lives that we need to get rid of. God's not the one who makes the mistakes. We're the ones who mess up. But God allowed us a second law of pardon that we can repent of our sin and pray for forgiveness. We can confess that to him. 
Pray for forgiveness and he is willing to do just that. That we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. It's not a means of scary. It's not a means of trying to scare you. It's a means of comfort, of hope. Walking in the light as he is in the light gives us the comfort and the hope to go through our everyday life. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're here and you need to come back to him. Maybe you're here and as you hear this lesson you think about things in your life that you've Made mistakes. Maybe you're here and you think about how you need to be better. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with something else and you need the prayers of this congregation. We show that we love one another. We show that we are connected. And we show God's love when we help each other out. It's like Jesus said in John chapter 17 when he prayed that his followers would be one. The reason? So that the world will know. The world can know Jesus, the world can know the heart of God, and we can help them get there, but our lives must be right first. Maybe you need to become a Christian, and maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.